Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 171. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. And today I wanted to go a little bit more in depth about something that I talk about on here all the time. And when we talk about it with other therapists or when I mention it on my own, you know, there's kind of an assumption that people know what I'm talking about. And I think even when we talk about this subject kind of from the outside, it tends to kind of oversimplify what is really happening at the time. And so I wanted to give some information that I hope will be helpful both to people who are listening who are considering whether or not maybe they want to get therapy or to people who are listening who are clinicians. And, you know, I firmly believe as a trauma therapist that everything that I as a trauma therapist consume to learn more about how to help my clients is also to help me. And when I think about it, I'm not only thinking about what I hear from my clients and what they tell me they're experiencing and what I've witnessed over years and years of working with people, but also how I feel inside, how I feel throughout a day, the emotions that move through me throughout a day and the body sensations. So I think every time I'm speaking to you listeners who are therapists, I know that you are human individuals as well. And you have your own experiences and your own emotions that are at play in your professional and personal lives at every moment, just like anyone else. So, you know, I often talk about trauma survivors and clients as if that is people who are different from me and you, but 
we are all people who have emotions and who have experiences that impact us every day and attachment wounds that impact us every day, whether or not we identify as being a trauma survivor, which although I did not identify as being a trauma survivor for a very long time, I am. So, you know, wherever you are in your journey of personal growth and self-awareness is okay. But I hope that it will be helpful to consider what I'm going to share, which is about being triggered. And of course, you know, now in our popular culture and our vernacular, the word triggered is often used to describe people being offended by something and having an overreaction type of response or blowing something out of proportion, being too sensitive or politically correct. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about trauma symptoms being activated, which is what I call being triggered in my work and in all of our experiences. So sometimes trauma symptoms are very acutely present, impossible to ignore. No clinician would miss certain symptoms as being reactions to trauma. And that would be basically if a person could come to see you and tell you as their therapist, well, the reason I'm seeking therapy is because I experienced a traumatic event. And ever since then, I've been having flashbacks, nightmares, intrusive thoughts and memories. I can't sleep. I'm having mood changes. I feel angry. If someone came to you presenting those symptoms, I sure hope that you would recognize that as trauma symptoms. And if you wouldn't, I'm not mad, but that those are clear descriptions that a a client could bring to a therapy session and say, you know, if I have these and I've experienced a traumatic event, you know, I'm impacted by trauma. However, it's pretty unusual for a client to show up saying I'm having flashbacks, intrusive memories. They don't use that kind of language. That's the language from our DSM and our trainings. But that's not, people don't always know that that's what's happening to be able to describe it that way. In fact, being in an acute trauma response kind of prevents people from being able to even have that objective awareness to say, oh, what's happening to me is I'm having flashbacks. Now, help. maybe somebody has helped them to define what's happening and then they can come and tell you that way. But more often, they describe whatever they can name of their symptoms. And we have to put together and ask ourselves, has there been any traumatic event in this person's history? And not just ask them, well, have you experienced any trauma? but actually do a more thorough assessment of their history. When did this start? You know, is there, when you're having these bad thoughts come into your mind, is there a theme? Is it the same thoughts? You know, so we have to do a trauma-informed assessment. And I will talk about that more in a future episode because that's a big, big topic. And I'm even going to make some trainings about it because To me, that's one of the first things that I see people who are kind of bewildered in how to work with trauma survivors, just not having the basic 
understanding. And I say basic, but it's not it's not typically taught. So it's not, uh, you know, something you're doing wrong if you don't have this training. It's just that in order to effectively help people who've experienced trauma, we have to be able to recognize one, that their symptoms match up with trauma symptoms and two, that their past experiences are potentially traumatic, even if they do not necessarily know or recognize that what they've been through is potentially a traumatic experience. So I'll talk more about that another time. And if you're curious about that and interested, please get in touch with me to let me know so that I realize that, you know, there's definitely a need and a want for this. But in the meantime, I want to give you some examples of how trauma that is activated can look and feel. And it's so insidious. That's what I always say about trauma. It's just so insidious. It's not as obvious as we would hope unless, you know, you have that really kind of well-honed sense for it. But even if you do and you are a therapist, you may be experiencing trauma. You may be having your trauma be activated and not be aware of it because that's the thing. When it's happening, your brain literally thinks that what's happening is in the present and not a reaction to something that has happened in the past that's kind of stuck there. So many people live in the world as if their past trauma is happening now and they are not aware that that's what they're reacting to. How would they know? Especially because they've always felt this way. So I'm going to give you a little vignette to describe kind of how this can happen. So... Let's say you are, you're very stressed. You had a very stressful week and you're not really sure why this particular week was so exceptionally stressful because it wasn't much different from any other week. Nothing really big or bad happened. There's no specific worry or problem that you can point to, but it felt like throughout the week you were aware that you were just becoming more and more stressed. And even though you knew you were, you were trying to talk about it and trying to do something to help yourself feel better, it wasn't changing. And so you were kind of having a feeling throughout the week of, I'm alone, no one understands, I have to fix this myself, maybe some self-blame, I did this to myself, I'm, I'm working too much, I'm overwhelmed. And, you know, wishing for help, but not believing that there's anyone who would help. So you say, I'll just get through the week. I'll just get through the week. I'll just get through the week. And then when the week is over, let's say, you know, Friday night, you have a bit of relief just knowing that there's nothing else for work that you have to do. But you still feel really stressed. You feel exhausted, depleted, and you don't feel like anyone understands. You just feel like this was so hard. No one really cares. No one understands. Again, that feeling of I'm on my own. I have to deal with this by myself. It's sort of like my pain is private and no one, it's too much for anyone to understand. So some of the keys in what I'm saying here are these thoughts of I'm alone. My problems are too much, which kind of, you know, relates to or translates to I'm too much. No one's there for me. I'm on my own. I just have to push through. These are kind of ideas that develop when we're younger. 
And as you may notice, there's a black and white aspect to those thoughts, like no one is there, not maybe if I try to talk to someone, they may understand and that may comfort me a little, but no, it's no one will understand. No one is there. I can't talk about this with anyone. And maybe if you have a partner, you want your partner to understand, but you don't expect them to understand. You don't think they can. So you might talk about it, but you don't really give them a chance to even try to explore it with you or help you with the way you feel or even just listen. Or maybe your pattern with your partner is that they don't know how to comfort you or help you in those situations. And so you kind of have this pattern where you don't reach out and they don't support you when you do, or they don't know how to support you. So they just don't say anything. They have their own defenses. Obviously, that's true in every relationship that each partner has their own defenses that come up in in conversations at times. So you say, well, I really don't want to feel this way anymore. You could try drinking some alcohol or abusing some substances or using substances that are illegal. You could try any numbing activities, binging getting more busy with organizing, decluttering, which we tell ourselves is a good way to spend our time, like a virtuous thing. And of course, in any moderation, making our space feel good is a positive activity. But when we're doing it to avoid feeling, it's just another numbing behavior. Going on the internet, doing more work. Maybe if I just do more work, it will feel better. And really, you're just trying to distract yourself from whatever you're really feeling. And maybe you're trying to get in touch with what you're feeling. And you're like, there's nothing there. I don't know. I don't know why. All I can tap into is thoughts like, I did this to myself. No one understands. But there's no real connection to emotions. So when we try to tap into what we're feeling and nothing comes up or just thoughts of kind of inner criticism self-blame or reinforcing how alone we are, then it seems like, no, it's not an emotional thing because, you know, we hear those thoughts in our head and we say, yeah, that's probably what's going on. I've just done this to myself. Here I am. I'm working too much. I shouldn't do that. And, you know, but then you look at it objectively and you're like, I really didn't work any more than I normally do. So what was it about this week? So always being curious when you're trying to figure out if you're triggered or what is being triggered, just trying to be curious, what's there? And this is where Tara Brock's RAIN approach is really helpful if you can stay with it. But it's hard to stay with it if you're activated because, you know, your mind is bringing these ways of coping to the forefront and your the ways of coping are you know, there's something else I need to be doing right now. Not this. Oh, I need to call someone. Oh, um, did I remember to pay that bill? You know, all these little things that your mind throws up as little obstacles to getting connected to those emotions. And it's doing it to protect you because that part of you believes you can't handle this. These emotions are too big. So it takes practice to sit with it. And there's no judgment if you can't get to what the emotions are. In fact, 
you know, you may be working with a therapist for years and it's still hard to get to the emotions. And that doesn't mean you're failing. It just means that you have these really well-developed defenses that you needed for years. And maybe you're like me, you're like in your late 40s or you're in your 50s or older. You've been using these coping methods for your whole life. And it's hard to try a different way. But that doesn't mean you're on the wrong track or therapy's not working. It means it may mean that you're just needing more practice and it's okay. So maybe you do a numbing thing. Maybe you don't. Maybe you go to bed. You're just like, forget it. Let's start over tomorrow. Have a weekend. I'll be well rested. I'll do things that will help me feel better tomorrow or maybe I'll just feel better. You know, we always think that like maybe tomorrow will be a better day and and don't necessarily really explore what was happening. It's like, oh, thank goodness that's gone. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, it's not really gone. It just it's just less close to the surface because either the, you know, intensity of the situation passed and we got a little more rest or, you know, we got a momentary we got a momentary like reprieve and that was enough to settle down for a bit. So in everything I'm describing so far, I wonder if this happened to you, would you be thinking that some trauma was triggered? Would you be thinking that it may relate to some attachment wounds or would you just think it was a hard week and, you know, just can't wait to get to the weekend? Because I know for me, for many years, I would not have really thought too much about it unless there was something that I could point to during that week that could relate so clearly to my own past experiences that I would say, okay, okay. I remember on Wednesday I was talking about this and I felt that. And then ever since then I've been feeling really overwhelmed. So that's good if that can happen, but it's not always as obvious as that. In fact, one insidious way trauma shows up, and I often talk about this with my clients, is that there can be anniversaries of past traumatic events, maybe something that happened when you were seven years old on that. This So today's January 27th, maybe on January 27th, when you were seven, when I was seven years old, something happened that I have no way of being able to know that it was on January 27th, unless there was some way that date stood out. Like let's say January 27th was my birthday and something bad happened at my birthday party. And then every year on January 27th, I have this sense of unease or distress and I don't know why. It's real hard to go back and go, did something happen on January 27th that could be like a trauma memory or a trauma reminder anniversary? But it can be helpful if you ever are able to put together those pieces, even if it's like this was the time of year that I remember now when my parent was sick or it was my parents anniversary and they always had a big fight or it could be anything, big things or seemingly small things. But those anniversaries do have a way of sneaking up. So one thing you can do is try to explore. Is there a trauma anniversary that could be happening now? Is there something about anything in this this week that could have related to my past? So, you know, that's a kind of a cognitive way trying to think back. And that's great. But the most direct way to really figure out what's going on is more like I mentioned using the RAIN approach or any self-compassion 
just settling into mindfulness with yourself and checking in and asking yourself, what do I feel? I always put my hand on my heart when I do this. I just say, what am I feeling? And people have heard me say this a million times, but for me, when I do this, there's always an answer that comes and I, there's always another part of me that immediately dismisses. Well, it's not that, but if an answer comes, why would I dismiss it? (laughs) It's just another coping thing. It's a way to push away. No, no, it's not about that. So you might have to settle in and just be with yourself and keep asking, what do I need? What am I feeling? Get still. and Wait. Sometimes nothing comes right away. I know when I first started doing this, nothing did. And then, as I said, now, whatever comes up first, I usually have to have a little inner argument with myself where I say this. No, it's not that. This. No, it's not that. This. No, it's not that. And maybe there's a part of me that doesn't want it to be about that because that's too vulnerable. But staying with it and trying not to judge what comes up is a first step. Ideally, connecting with some emotion. What if we just allow it to be maybe that it is that, that thing that my mind always says, oh, it's not that. Because hint, it really always is for me. It actually always is that. (laughs) So it would be so easy if I didn't have to get into an inner argument with myself. But that's my process. It's okay. Yours might be different. So once you can connect with some emotion and just allow that to be there and try to maybe expand into that a little, you don't even have to know why it's coming up. If you just allow it to come and to feel it, then that can help and it can be a relief. And if you're in therapy or if you have really supportive people in your life who you trust to listen and just hold space for how you feel, Letting it come up with a compassionate witness present can be very powerful. If you're not in therapy or you don't have supportive people in your life or both, you can also be the compassionate witness to yourself. But that does take a lot of practice and doing it on your own is hard because we are relational beings. And if your feeling is I'm alone and you're telling yourself I'm not alone, It can be hard to take that in if you really don't have supportive people in your life, as many of us don't. And so maybe the next step for you would be just trying to connect with more supportive people because there are so many ways to do it. Even if you can't go to therapy because of where you're located, there's no therapist around or financially, you have no way to afford it. You have no insurance to cover it or there are no therapists available where you are. There are online forums and often, you know, community gathering spaces where you can connect with maybe not necessarily people who are there to talk about trauma, but just supportive people. And that's a good first step. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, 
You can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. That's level one of the discussion, but it goes deeper because so let's say this all happens on Friday. Then on Saturday, you've gone to bed Friday night, gotten a good night's rest, wake up Saturday morning. You still feel exhausted, even though you got a good night's rest, you still feel depleted from the previous week. And you got this weekend and you really don't have anywhere you have to be other than around your house. So you say, I know it'll help me. I need to get a massage. I need to kind of work this out of my body because, you know, I'm a big proponent of using movement and body work to help process trauma and stuck emotions. Because as they say, the issues are in the tissues, the fascia of the body, the connective tissue holds the stress, the tension, the trauma, the pain, and it contributes to physical and mental health issues. So you go get a massage and you're feeling like, okay, this is going to help me relax and just release a lot of tension. And your, your neck is hurting, your back is hurting. So many of us hold tension, especially from earlier childhood trauma in our necks and upper backs, but it can be held anywhere in the body and trauma can be held anywhere in the body. But what I've learned in sensory motor psychotherapy Level two is that some of the earliest trauma is often held in the neck, upper, upper neck, lower scalp, occipital lobe area, and the, and the upper shoulders. But the lower back and hips are also big holders of trauma. So lots of places to store it. <laughs> so you go get a massage and you're in the massage and you're like, okay, this is my time to relax. You know, I, I feel safe here. Maybe the massage therapist is familiar to you, so you don't have any concerns that you won't be emotionally and physically safe in this space. And the person is very skilled and professional, and you're being massaged, and you find maybe your to-do list comes to your mind, or your mind starts reviewing everything that was happening during the week while you were so busy, just sort of like, Reliving it in a way, remembering this happened and this, maybe I could have done that differently. Why did this person say this? Wish I hadn't done that. Maybe next time I should do this. I need to go to the grocery store. Let's see, we need milk, eggs. And and you catch yourself doing that. So, you know, that's mindfulness. When you notice your thoughts, you're trying to be in this experience of feeling taken care of, soothed, relieving your tension and stress, but your mind is going because you're finally settling down and giving yourself space. And now your mind is like, tick, 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 do this, do that, do this, do that. Normal. So you notice it. 
Let me say, okay, I don't need to think about my grocery list right now. Let me just be in the experience. You take some breaths to help you get back to your body, back to what's happening. Notice how tense your back is, even though you're in this massage and you're like, hmm, you know, I need to relax a little more. You try to allow your shoulders to soften a bit. What happens for me is I notice that when that to-do list is being made, I'm also bracing my body, my shoulders are tightening. So there's a connection. I'm feeling something. Maybe something is getting loosened up in the massage. I mean, definitely it is in terms of the emotion. And I'm bracing against it because I don't like it and I don't want to feel it. But it's all subconscious. I don't know I'm doing it. But... That's where the breath can take you back and you can get back in your body. Say, oh, there I'm tensing. Let me soften that. You don't have to know why. So as you begin to relax more into it, you kind of notice some thoughts coming into your mind about something, something bad that happened when you were younger. Not something that you consider to be a traumatic experience, but just something that you don't like that happened that you usually try not to think about. But it kind of comes in your mind, it starts coming in your mind and you're like, oh, I'm not going to think about that. So you want to push it away, but it comes back and it's not necessarily distressing you. You're just thinking, um, no, I don't want to think about that. I'm, I'm here to relax. I don't want to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. So you kind of put it out of your mind and you try to get back into the experience of the massage. But then you notice the thought came back. It's like a memory without any emotion. And it's just sort of playing out. Like, then this happened, then that happened, then this happened. Oh, I don't want to think about that. Oh, then this happened, then that happened. No, I don't want to think about that. You know, and that is an example of what you would call an intrusive memory or an intrusive thought. People don't necessarily know that that's what an intrusive thought is. And when it comes in and it goes out so quick, It comes in and we push it away so quick. We don't always know we're doing it. And when we have a lot of experiences from the past that we have tried not to think about, especially things that happen in childhood, we might be having them come up and pushing them away without much conscious awareness or memory that they came and went all throughout the day. So what we do when we're kids and we have traumatic experiences that we can't handle is we you know, our mind kind of allows us to separate from what's happening. It may be a a terrifying experience or a traumatic experience. And one of the ways the trauma response is getting activated, fight, flight, freeze, feign death, or attach cry. But we're not necessarily staying connected to what's happening in the moment because our brain is protecting us from how awful what's happening is, how powerless we feel basically. And so then we can get pretty good at being blocked off from the way our bodies feel because our bodies are what holds those, those traumatic memories. The, the thought memory may be there or it may not. For many people, they don't have clear memories of past traumatic experiences and that's normal too. But if the thought memory is there, that this happened, or it's an image, this happened, but there's no emotion connected to it, then we don't really have the language to say, 
this was a traumatic experience. I felt powerless because the feeling isn't accessible to us. And the reason it's not is because that's what our brain and its infinite wisdom did to protect us in that moment and help us survive it. But now the trauma is still there in the body held and we don't have access to it. So we don't know that that's what's affecting us, but it is. So weird as it might sound, this is an example of being trauma being triggered during a massage. So in the example I just gave, the person doesn't know they're triggered. They don't feel body sensations or emotions related to the image or the thought that came to mind during the massage, but it's all happening. It's just not all accessible to them. The thought or the memory was in the conscious awareness, body sensations and emotions are not, but they're still there. So you could kind of make a hypothesis as an intelligent person, if you were able to look at it objectively, which is extremely hard to do when the trauma is activated, because as we know, you can't access the thinking, logic, problem solving part of your brain when your trauma is activated. So let me take that back. It can be very difficult to access it. It's usually offline, but when we have some developed sense of mindfulness, we may be able to do both, have the co-consciousness where we can see that we're triggered and we can see you know, it as an observer and not be fully into, fully immersed into how triggered the trauma is. But again, that kind of takes some practice. I mean, that's after working with it for a while. And usually in the company of someone else that you feel safe with. So whether it's a partner you trust deeply or a family member or friend who you deeply trust or a therapist or other helping professional who, you know, is with you witnessing this and they know the story. So it makes it a safe place for you to be able to examine and explore. So if you're in this massage and this is coming up and you're saying, oh, okay, why does this keep coming up? I'm just trying to relax and enjoy this massage. And I really don't want to think about this right now. If you have the co-consciousness that I just mentioned, or if you've taken this in and then this happens to you in the future, you can kind of go, oh, I wonder if this is what was going on there. You, you could say, hmm, there's something that needs to be attended to. Now, if you're fully in the trauma and don't have the co-consciousness, what could happen is that you could become very anxious and you could ask the massage therapist to stop and say you need to leave and you can't stay any longer. Or you could start having a panic attack or you could freeze. And while you are not able to really say anything or tell the massage therapist that this needs to stop or that you don't feel safe right now emotionally because you've gotten triggered, you may lay there and the massage therapist may have no idea that something's wrong. Hopefully, if they're someone who's really attuned to trauma, they would be checking and saying, are you okay right now? Is there anything coming up for you that you need? Do you need me to pause? Is there, do you need some water, etc.? But any of those things could happen. So basically, you could panic, flee, fight or flight, right? You could get angry. You could yell stop. You could freeze and not say anything or not be able to move. Or so many subtle ways that our 
coping methods kick in when these familiar but out of our awareness things happen, you can start making another to-do list. And this time you just stick with the to-do list or you stick with what's wrong with me, you know, self-blame, self-criticism, or you just start thinking about as soon as this massage is over, I'm going to, I'm going to go write in my journal about what, what I was thinking about. Or you could go into just beating yourself up about why can't I just enjoy a massage? I can't even relax long enough to allow this person to help me feel better when I'm stressed. What's wrong with me? There's a thousand different ways that we can go when our trauma gets triggered. But any of the things that I just mentioned are possible automatic coping strategies that come up. It's basically that's the path that your your brain goes down when this comes up. Oh, had this get triggered? When that happens, I'm going to beat myself up or I'm going to get anxious or panicky or check out more. Another thing that could happen, I didn't say before, but you could become dissociative. And I really hope that if you were to really dissociate and not be safely present in the room that the trauma, that the um, massage therapist would be able to pick up on that. But not every massage therapist is aware of trauma. I hope that many of them, most of the ones that I talk to or work with as a client are where I'm their client are um, seemingly have some knowledge of that and at least enough sensing that even if they don't know much about trauma, they're kind of intuitive when someone's not okay and they can at least know to ask and pause and let the person have, you know, their own sense of body autonomy and safety. Certainly all of the massage therapists who I use and recommend have that type of intuitive nature and skill. So that's just a very small example of one thing that can happen when someone gets triggered. So since I gave this and it's, you know, what I wanted you to have to consider and think about is how can I know when I'm getting triggered and I don't even realize it? And what, and then, you know, how can I know if I'm a therapist, what's happening for my clients when they get triggered? And, you know, this was just like one specific example. There's, again, there's a thousand ways it could have gone. It doesn't, that's not every person's experience, but that's just one example that I think is fairly common for people who have childhood trauma. So they're more in a stable mental health state, although they're very unhappy and needing support, or they may be very anxious and needing support from a therapist, but but not what anyone would consider someone who's really unstable, you know, not functioning well. The person is functioning well. And so I guess another reason why I'm bringing this up is for therapists, I think it would be easy to miss because the symptoms are not so acute as what we often are trained to look for when we have had some training in trauma. So the other part I wanted to offer is like, what would you do if that was happening to you? And I talked about it a bit in the like little level one part that I said earlier in this episode about using the RAIN approach. And certainly that's what you would do, you know, at this level two point as well. So the reason I'm saying level one and level two is because 
the person's feeling one way on Friday and they're feeling a different way on Saturday and they may not connect them, but it seems to me that it's a, it's all related. Something is happening for that person. There's something they need to express. There's something that needs to be felt and heard. And it's going to keep coming back until the person allows it to be felt and heard and, and metabolized and processed through. That may take a while because that's how it works, especially if it's been there a while and it hasn't been able to be felt and heard before. One clue is if you have the image or the knowledge that something happened, which is more like a thought or narrative without the connected emotion, then yes, it's something that needs to be processed, but you're, you're missing some pieces of being able to access that. And that's where the, again, the rain approach or any approach where you just go within and notice what's there, the body sensations, the emotions that helps you connect all the pieces together. But with trauma, we know that there's a reason why the emotion is not accessible. If the person was able to handle it at the time, if it wasn't overwhelming their nervous system, it wouldn't have needed to be separated the way it is. So there's a part of them that still doesn't know if the nervous system can handle the emotion. And so that's where the practice of feeling our emotions, even just, you know, any emotions, not just our most painful ones, is very helpful to the process of recovering from traumatic experiences. So what would I advise, what would I suggest or recommend for this person who, if they came to me as a client who had had that experience, we would talk about it in session and work to see if we can connect with any emotions that come up even while talking about it. And I would be the compassionate witness, hopefully having a presence that feels safe for the person to be able to be curious about that, whether or not they actually access it. That all depends on where they are and how far into the therapeutic relationship we are. I don't do that with people in the first session because building a therapeutic relationship takes time. It takes trust. And when people have experienced a loss of trust that basically the world is a safe place to be and that there are people who care and will help me, which is pretty common among people who have experienced childhood trauma. Even if, as I said in episode 167, when I was talking about the process of trauma therapy, even if they may believe, well, you're a therapist and I know you won't hurt me because that's unethical and you're not allowed to do that. And, you know, I want to believe that as a therapist, you're a kind person who has no ill intentions. At the same time, if my paradigm of life is that no one is safe and no one can be trusted, and even the people that I should be able to trust always let me down in the end, it's certainly going to take some time to build up a therapeutic relationship, which is why I work with people for a pretty long time. But we would explore that together in our session if we had enough of a therapeutic relationship to be able to do so. I would help the person begin to touch whatever emotion comes up when they talk about it or based on wherever they are. And I would give them suggestions for how to practice with that on their own, including the RAIN technique that I keep mentioning of Tara Brock. And I'll put in the 
show notes for this episode as well, because I've used it before, but it's just such a elegant and clearly understandable method to use to help access emotion. I also love the guided meditations on Kristen Neff's website. Her website is selfcompassion.org. As an aside, I'm super excited to be going to a mindful self-compassion intensive soon with Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer, who are the ones who've created that method. And I can't wait to deepen into my self-compassion practice because that has truly been one of the things that has changed my life, you know, and it's kind of been a process. It's not just one thing, but finding self-compassion practice, which I found through Brene Brown's work, you know, she refers to Kristen Neff's self-compassion work in her books. It has really changed things for me. It's changed how I am in the world, how I connect and how I connect with myself. So. I can't wait to do more of that in that retreat. So I hope this has been helpful. I will be sure to put the resources I mentioned in the show notes. And I'd love to know what you think about this. Is this what you thought trauma triggers were? Did I miss something? You know, that's just one tiny example, but I hope it would be helpful. And that's why I wanted you to know about it. So I'd love to hear from you as always, what you thought about this episode. And also I'd love for you to respond to my survey, if you haven't already, about what you do want to learn more from me, because this year I plan to create more resources that go more in depth than this podcast can do. I already offer clinical consultation for therapists and, but I want to provide more trainings and courses. And so I'd love to know what you think you want to learn from me, if anything. So that link will also be in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. I appreciate you, however you choose to support the podcast, and I'll be talking to you soon. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychat.com.
www.thepodcast.com. 